Victoria, and hello, it's your old Rocky Jockey Stanger Man here once again. Oh, don't get up, it's only me. Hello, welcome to a brand new year. I'm Liz. I'm Pete. 1420 3XY, how are you? It's nine after six with Lee Simon. It's 18 to six, 3DB with Keith McGowan. More grand old favourites to play for you a little later on. 3 double the Breeze 693. Good morning and welcome to our brand new radio station. Good afternoon, Melbourne. It's seven minutes past three. This is Greg Evans at 1420 3XY. Well, hi and welcome once again to Pilot of the Airwaves. Uh, 30 minutes or so, where we catch up with the people behind the voices who were our friends for a whole generation. And today's guest needs no introduction, but hey, we'll give him one anyway. School's up, work a day's done, you might be driving home, I hope you're having fun, whatever you're doing, you gotta get wrong! Greg Evans, 3XY. Greg Evans, welcome to Pilots and uh, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Paul. It's very nice to talk to you, even under these conditions of uh, Zoom. And listen, I need to let you know that uh, Dexter is listening and he's promised to give us a compatibility rating once we've finished. Thank you very much. I will take that into account. Dexter is in a museum, Paul, perhaps where I should be. But uh, he is in the Sound and um, Vision Television Museum at Fed Square, if anyone's interested. So how many lame references to Perfect Match have you had to endure over the years? Um, All of them. All of them. And... And the most asked question in my life is, where's Dexter? Everyone wants to know, where's Dexter? And what made him move? And, you know, was he, was he really a robot and what have you? Um, I would have thought the most asked question would have been about the six hostesses that I had on uh, Perfect Match, but it seems Dexter has <laughs> uh, taken the cake. We did have 11 marriages on the show too. Yeah. In fact, I think the statistics were 11 marriages, one baby and three killings. We'll get back to Perfect Match a little bit later on. Let's rewind back to the uh, Greg Evans early days, where you grew up, bit of family life, and how'd you perform at school, Greg? Um, well, I, I didn't like school. I didn't like it at all because I was a four-and-a-half-year-old starter, and I truly believe that's too young to start school. Um, so I, I struggled a bit at school, um, and I went to three different secondary schools. I went to Aspendale Technical School and then to Morty Alec High School, uh, and also St. Bede's College. So I had a, a crack at three different uh, tertiary schools. So, uh, so therefore, uh, I'm not bound to one of them, if you know what I mean. So I'm not big into school reunions for that reason. But the best thing that happened to me at school was I got a radio show organised, what I called a radio show, at Aspendale Tech. Um, I was a prefect and I had a bit of influence with the headmaster. And I said to him, can I take over the PA system every Friday and play the kids some music over the school PA. And I said, because I was president of the social service committee and I could raise money that way, I charged everyone to Bob to bring a 45 in in a paper bag. Uh, reason, I didn't have enough records. <laughs> I'd make them bring their own. And there was only one turntable in the principal's office and that was um, to play God Save the Queen at assembly. 
So, uh, so I had to get a panel operator. The, he had to take the, uh, the, the single off and put another one on and then do all this while I did all the, the gabbering. And uh, anyway, it was fantastic. I mean, there must have been maybe 30 or 40 speakers, like in every classroom and all over the school, belting out, uh, you know, Russell Morris and the real thing or whatever I was playing. And uh, after three weeks, I got shut down. Um, uh, by complaints from the surrounding houses uh, who were trying to watch Days of Our Lives or the Mike Walsh show. And there was, you know, Led Zeppelin belting away. Uh, and that made front page of the newspaper. So that was the first time I'd received any publicity. Um, school DJ gets the axe. Now, radio-wise, who were you listening to in those early teenage years? It was, it was 3UZ um, when I was 16. Uh, 3UZ uh, had their studios in Burke Street, Melbourne, and my favourite disc jockey was Stan Rofe. And uh, Stan had come on and do the 10 to 1 program, and I had a little transistor radio about the size of a mobile phone, and I'd go to bed and I'd listen to Stan Rofe. And um, anyway, uh, there was a dance on in, in um, called Stonehenge, and it was in um, Belcom Road or somewhere by Morris, anyway. And uh, Max Merritt and the Meteors were playing there, and... Um, a lot of my friends wanted to go see Max, but also Stan Rofe was making an appearance there and I just wanted to go and meet Stan. So uh, while Max was belting away in the main area, I went out to the coffee room and there was this, um, this real live DJ uh, that I used to listen to on 3UZ every night, the greater 3UZ. And, um, and so I went up to him and I said, Stan, my name's Greg Evans and, 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 and I want to be like you. <laughs> I was 16. Uh, what a wonderful man Stan Rofe was. Instead of saying, you know, rack off, mate, uh, Stan said, um, he said, well, why don't you give my secretary a call and come and see me in at 3UZ and I'll show you around. Uh, and so I sat with him. Um, he signed me in as a cleaner and uh, I sat with him. I watched Sam Anglesey finish his shift and leave the building and then I sat with Stan from 10 to 1 o'clock in the morning and I decided that uh, after watching you know, a three-hour radio shift with Stan that I was going to be a disc jockey. Clark Sinclair Training School, you're part of the, uh, the factory that came out of St Kilda. What can you tell us about those days? Great. They were great days. Um, first of all, when I left school, I, I got a job at Maya Melbourne uh, in the ladies' shoe department. And the only time that I enjoyed it was when there was a sale on and uh, <laughs> the PA system had come around and I'd get a chance to, to spruik, I think they called it. And... Uh, and, and uh, I would give time calls and weather checks as I was spruiking the uh, lady's shoe. And so I went to Lee Murray, who was the other radio teacher in Melbourne. And um, it was dismal. I, I disliked it immensely. I didn't like the way Lee Murray operated. Um, and I, so I, I, I quit and I went up to him and I said, this is ridiculous. We talk more about the Collingwood Football Club than, you know, reading scripts and that. And he said to me, well, you'll never do any good anyway. He said, you're just an upstart or whatever he said. I don't know, but he, but he sacked me. And that's when I rang Clark Sinclair. And it was a totally different ball game. You know, I said, hello, Mr. Sinclair. He said, call me Clark. He said, come on down and have a look at the studio facilities I've got in East St Kilda. And, and, uh, and, and I thought, wow, this is real turntables and a console. And oh, this is better than just sitting in an empty room with Lee Murray. And... Um, and so I, I, I trained with Clark Sinclair and a lot of other young aspiring boys that were wanting to be disc jockeys as well, Glenn Driscoll and Max Norton and Murray Oates. And we all wanted the same thing. We all, we'd read the ads during the week after work uh, 
uh, and then we'd be rostered onto a shift on his radio station, um, 3SR, I think it was, um, in East St Kilda. Um, and uh, boy, I was, I was in heaven. I just used to really think that was great. And not long after that, he helped me get a job at 3CS Colac. 3CS Colac, uh, 3CV uh, Miraburra, and of course, 2KA breakfast announcer up there in Katoomba with a very interesting program director up there, Greg. Can you tell us about him? <laughs> well, that was my first encounter with Keith McGowan. Um, and uh, I, was, I was wrapped in, in going to 2KA because whilst I loved 3CS, it was terrific, very homely. Um, and 3CV I didn't like because the radio station was in a house and, and I didn't think that, you know, that was good enough. I wanted studios. But when Stan said to me, Rod Muir had taken over the programming digame of, uh, of a station in Katoomba and you are to ring a man called Keith McGowan, the program director. And I thought, great. I rang him up and he's gone, are you any good? And I said, oh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm learning. You know, he said, right, you start next week. And I said, well, I can't. I've got to give notice here. Ah, stuff them, he said. Um, it, was a, it was a real experience to just talk to the man on the telephone. I drove my little Volkswagen all the way to 2KA in Katoomba. And when I met Keith McGowan, I couldn't believe it. He was, he was bigger than life. He was uncouth. He was, uh, um, but he was damn good at his job. And he'd been a big disc jockey in Perth, of course, in the 60s. Um, we became friends, Keith and I, uh, and, and, and remained friends for uh, several decades. Um, in fact, I... I went in and gave him a hug goodbye when he was in the hospital um, uh, just before he passed away. But 2KA was a hell of an experience for me because of Keith McGowan, Rod Muir and a real good training ground, which set me up for 3XY. Speaking of which, that was the next stop. Uh, how did you find out that you had the gig? I, I, te- I kept the telegram from Dick Hemming, who was uh, the programmer at 3XY, who said uh, there's a job available doing the um, 7 to 10 shift at night if you want to come down to Melbourne and I can do, I want it because I'd always wanted to work at three X, Y, of course, um, three Z that I used to listen to, um, lost, lost the plot and, uh, three X, Y became number one. So I was listening to three X, Y in my later teenage years and thought this is a radio station that would be fabulous to work at. So first impressions when you walked into the big uh, Metro station and who were some of the other jocks on roster at the time? Yeah, Peter Harrison was doing breakfast and uh, Joe Miller was doing uh, mornings. Uh, John O'Donnell was doing afternoons and drive time. Um, I think that was me. Uh, Lee Simon was doing 7 to 10. Um, John John no, Smith. No, not John Smith. John Scott. John Scott was doing 10 to 1. And I don't know who was doing Midnight to Dawn. You know, radio back then was was a little bit, uh, you know, uh, this is Radio 3KZ of the time is nine and three quarter minutes past the hour and coming up soon will be the news. And radio was a bit like that. That's what Lee Murray was trying to teach his students. Whereas 3XY was, was different, you know. G'day, this is Greg Evans. It's fine and mild outside, 25 minutes to five. We've got the, there's been a prang outside the uh, Spencer Street railway station. Uh, we'll cross uh, live to that later on. But for now, here's the Beatles. You know, it was... It was talking to the people, not at them. It was, it, was, um, it was a nice, comfortable pair of blue jeans. I think that's why the logo, the zipper logo uh, was there because, because we, it was a radio station aimed at young people under 35s and we spoke to them and with them, you know, not trying to be too much to all people. 
I assume this is around the time that 3AK launched their No Wrinklies campaign. Was there a radio war declared? Totally. Absolutely, totally. And it was a divide and conquer situation. Um, 3AK had the No Wrinklies, 3XY was taking them on, and both radio stations were at the bottom of the, of the ratings. Um, so something had to... The uh, 3AK was a little bit ahead of 3XY because it had just started, uh, you know, with this rebel approach, if you like, this more music and less talk and, you know, and rock and roll and really heavy metal stuff. That was just before I arrived at 3XY. Um, and then one night, 3AK just went beautiful music. They just clicked. And when, when 3AK went beautiful music, 3XY went straight to number one and 3AK went straight to number two. And those two radio stations were highly successful for many years, both at opposite ends of the spectrum, one playing rock and roll, one playing beautiful music. Our pilot of the airwaves this week, of course, is Greg Evans. And Greg, who were some of the memorable visitors who walked into the Greg Evans studios at that time? Memorable for any number of reasons. <laughs> well, uh, you mean rock stars. Mm-hmm. Um, I was working at 3XY and um, uh, for seven years doing a nighttime and drive time program. Uh, and I met every rock star that came through the country. Every single one of them came into my studio Um and, and that's not because of me. Please don't get me wrong. I was in the right place at the right time. 3XY was a number one rock station. And um, the promoters uh, wanted their artists to be on 3XY to sell albums and to get people to their concerts. So consequently, um, it, it just started everyone, everyone from, from Deep Purple and Status Quo, from Black Sabbath and Dr. Hook, uh, you know, to the, to the Osmonds and um, just... Uh, you know, to meet Alice Cooper and Rod Stewart and Elton John and Paul McCartney, and they just kept coming every single day. And Joe Cocker, and um, you know, I, and I sat there, and they poured into the studio, and we chatted, and we talked, and we took some photos. I've got some lovely photos of most of those people, and uh, and then often I'd go down to the Festival Hall and um, and compare their concert again. Uh, just a, another promotional tool for 3XY. I'd, I'd walk out on stage with the 3XY T-shirt. Most of the audience members for those bands and those people I just mentioned were under 35. Everyone would cheer. And, and that, again, promotion for 3XY. But I guess, in a sense, a bit of promotion for me as well because I was out there in front of the people. And, you know, Paul, there is one thing that I remember vividly about um, uh, 3XY and that was the fan mail that, that I used to get I'd get letters from teenage girls um, that would say you know dear Greg we listen to you every day after school could you please play Daryl Braithwaite and Sherbet for us or could you please play the Bay City Rollers or Skyhooks and I would always answer those letters um, there was a certain mentality at the radio station that was a little bit above that at the time and some of the jocks used to get those letters and just throw them in the bin. They didn't care. They never answered them. They felt perhaps they were a bit above that. I don't know. But to me, I thought, well, if these kids have taken the time to write, I can at least write back. And so I'd handwrite replies and put a little 3XY sticker and a, and a photograph, hand card thing signed and send it back to them and, and listen to what they had to say. Dear Greg, can you please get Daryl Braithwaite in because we love his new song, Old Sid. And so... And so then I'd follow it through and ring the record company um, and I'd say, can Daryl come in to promote Old Sid? And before you knew it, within a week or when they were next in town, Daryl would be sitting there and 
and I'd be able to mention the letters that I got and mention the, the girls' names. And, 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 and before you knew it, I received this award for the most popular disc jockey in Victoria. You're listening to Pilots of the Airways. My very special guest in today is Greg Evans. Now, Greg, if we're to believe Wikipedia, your drive time slot on XY topped the ratings 27 out of 28 surveys. Now, the question is, who knocked you off? <laughs> uh, I have no idea what happened on the... Uh, I, do you know, I think, um, I, think I, I was taken off the, off the show. I think I was put on breakfast for one survey. And... Um, uh, it didn't work, so I went back to drive. And so that would be the reason for that statistic. But uh, the King of Pop Awards came around. And uh, as I mentioned, uh, Daryl Braithwaite was up there getting a King of Pop or John Farnham. And they introduced a category called the most popular disc jockey in your state. And all of a sudden, um, I won the award. And I thought that was, gee, that was really, that was really a nice thing to do. Here I was. I was still only probably Paul. 24 years old, sneakers, blue jeans, rock and roll. And, and I got this award, um, which meant so much to me, you know, from a kid who used to, you know, talking to saucepans under the bedclothes when I was 14 um, uh, to, to winning this award. And the next year I got it again and went up there with Marsha Hines and whoever it was. And I remember my dad said to me, if you can get it, three of them, he was into cricket. He said, if you get three of them, that's a hat trick. He said, and that'll mean something. And, um, and, and Paul, um, my father passed away, but I won the award the third time. And so I got up and I, I collected that award and I said, Dad, this one's for you. And I had my three little uh, trophies, my most popular disc jockey in Victoria. Um, and uh, that's when 3XY actually recognised um, that. And on the, they took out a full page ad on the back page of Duke magazine and said, Greg Evans, most popular disc jockey in Victoria. <laughs> Only it took three years before they'd actually recognised that, um, that one of their announcers um, uh, received a TV Week award. Um, I went on to win it on the fourth year, fifth year, and sixth year, so six in a row, and then they abolished the award. So I got the only six of those. That's a bit of um, memorabilia. An incredible achievement indeed. I suppose after uh, winning six times the most popular DJ in Victoria, was there ever a temptation to try your luck up north in Sin City? No, no, not at all. Uh, Melbourne, my home, and uh, mind you, with Perfect Match was all made in Sydney, so I've I've done a lot of work in Sydney, but um, nice place to visit. Um, Always brought up in, born in Melbourne, lived in Melbourne, and uh, didn't have no desire to uh, work on on any other radio station but 3XY. In fact, it was television that caused me to leave 3XY. Tell us a little bit about that move to the FM dial. How did that come about? Um, yeah, gee, that was a, that was a sad time um, for 3XY uh, because 3XY was an AM top-rating radio station that everyone in Melbourne under the age of 35 listened to. It polarised people. They just loved it. Peter Brock and the stickers and, you know, little baubles on the top of their car aerials and... 3XY was just the radio station that serviced the under 35s. And then uh, when the FM licenses were um, issued in Melbourne, there was two of them, uh, existing AM stations were not allowed to apply. So 3XY couldn't convert to to FM. And so Eon and Fox got the two licenses and uh, people naturally wanted to listen to radio and stereo. And so a grad, I had just left 3XY. I'd, I'd, I'd resigned from 3XY to do a television show and um, called Together Tonight. And, uh, 
uh, and and in the year after I left, FM started to emerge, and 3XY slowly lost its uh, position uh, and, until eventually it was gone. Uh, the young people now wanted to listen to FM stereo, and um, uh, and so they did. I, I always thought it was a tragedy, Paul, that existing AM stations could not obtain an FM license. I think that was, they, uh, and now now you find the community stations have taken over the FM band when they should have had the AM band, in my opinion, in my opinion, and given the FM band to professional broadcasters. Of course, it's changed a lot now. Um, all of the professional uh, um, stations are, are on FM. Um, but back then, uh, there was only two in Melbourne and 3XY could not compete. It wasn't a level playing field. So how did that transition occur between radio and television? When I got the third award for the most popular disc jockey in Victoria, Mike Walsh, who was hosting the Midday Show on Channel 9, big national television show, uh, had me on as a guest. And so I went up there and to Sydney and live television, all a bit daunting, but, uh, but I kind of enjoyed that because all of a sudden this radio announcer had a studio audience and you could look down the barrel of a camera and you could actually get a laugh or... Or if you told a joke, you'd hear a studio audience react. You can never do that on radio. Of course, you just hope they were laughing. So my appearances on the Mike Walsh show over four years, I was doing 3XY Drive, flying to Sydney to appear live on the Mike Walsh show and then flying back to do Drive on 3XY one day a week for four years. And that was a nerve-wracking experience, working hard, really hard. Um, And then I left 3XY because Mike Walsh um, had come up with a television show called Together Tonight. And anyway, that was an ill-fated television show. It only lasted six months. It was a good show, but it only lasted six months. And I went back to radio, and that was 3MP. Um, ex-general manager of Channel 9, Norm Spencer, offered me the morning program on 3MP. I worked there for a couple of years, and that's when Perfect Match came along. So, uh, And I was lucky. I just dodged the sack there because the radio station 3MP got bought by... AWA, I think, and uh, Norm came to me and he said, and you're going to be the first to get sacked because you cost too much. And he said, and I'm going to be the second. And he was pretty right. Speaking of Perfect Match, you worked with a couple of voiceover heavyweights in uh, Max Rowley and Bruce Mansfield on that show. Yeah, well, Max was, uh, in, uh, the, the Perfect Match was um, uh, produced by uh, Reg Grundy, Grundy's television, and uh, they had employed Max Rowley to do the voiceovers and Keith Scott to be the voice of Dexter. And so that happened in Sydney for three years. Um, and then the show got moved to Melbourne and Bruce Mansfield became Dexter and Craig Huggins uh, did the voiceovers like what Max Rowley used to do. So, so uh, yes, Max was Dexter and so was Bruce Mansfield. Speaking of working with various people, tell us what it's like having breakfast with Dermot Brereton five days a week over a number of years. Yes, that was, uh, they were good days. They were fun days. Dermy, uh, God, I don't know. He was a character. I always was of the opinion that footballers made good radio talent because, because they were characters um, back in those days. I guess they still are. But, um, uh, you know, Dermy had just come off. Uh, Hawthorne was stunning then. You know, you had Johnny Platt and the Rat. You had Dermy. You had uh, Michael Tuck. You had um, the list goes on, doesn't it? Um, and, uh, and, uh, and I thought, Dermy's a fun guy. Let's, let's get him in and we'll do breakfast together. He knew nothing about radio, but he was natural. 
and he was fun and he giggled all the time and he laughed and he was always happy and he was about four feet taller than me as well. So, and we became mates and we had a really good time. Um, I've, uh, uh, I've worked with other footballers I, and cricketers. I worked with Merv Hughes for a while and, um, and uh, Sam Newman uh, on 3AW for four years we did uh, Filling Breakfast. So I, I reckon working with footballers is pretty good on radio. Jeremy, what sort of car was he driving at that stage? Uh, we were, I forget what his own personal car was because we were given cars. Um, yeah, I think it was a Holden dealer. It could have been a Mitsubishi. I can't even remember what cars they were. But cars were supplied. On uh, We must have been working for Gold FM and, uh, when we did that. And I might add, uh, Brad McNally became program director of that radio station and took Dermy and I to number one. In breakfast, FM. We couldn't, we couldn't come within the bull's roar of Ross Stevenson on 3AW, but certainly um, uh, we, we made it to number one um, on FM. Now, you mentioned him a couple of minutes ago. Of course, uh, Sam Newman with you on 3AW, probably one of the most polarising media performers in Australia today. Um, any particular idiosyncrasies Sam has? There's lots of them. Um, uh, it, it's funny, but um, uh, how that came about, I was uh, on a holiday with my family up in Alice Springs and I had a phone call from Steve Price uh, and he said, uh, Greg, we want you to do our breakfast program fill-in when, uh, you know, when Ross and Dean Banks, and Tom, when they go away on holidays, we haven't found a suitable replacement. We've tried a lot of people and it hasn't worked uh, and we want you to do it. And I said, gee, talk back radio for me. I'm not sure. And he said, no, he said, you'll be good. And we want you to work with a bloke called Sam Newman. And I said, I've never met Sam, but, but, um, but I think he might just cut me to pieces. I mean, he's just, uh, um, I, I was scared, but anyway, I agreed to do it. And <laughs> I remember I turned up on the first morning, 3OW was in um, uh, Bank Street, uh, South Melbourne, I guess at that time. And I pushed the buzzer and Keith McGowan answered the, the, the buzzer. G'day, knackers, he said. And I thought, oh, here we go again. Uh, Keith and I working at the same radio station, which I was thrilled with. But anyway, I, I went into the building and uh, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know any, like the lights were off. McGowan was half undressed in his studio. Um, and there was, there was a light on in a production studio and there was a man in there by the name of Beers. And I said, that's a strange name, but hello, Beers. And um, he said, oh, you can call me Beersy. And I said, oh, Beersy, right? Which was Stephen Beers, who's now the boss of the radio station. But um, he was only a young bloke then and he was a, a production manager, if you like, for the on-air talent. And he took me down, he switched the lights on in the office and he said, this is your office, there's the newspapers. And he said, I said, yeah, but where's Sam Newman? I haven't met him yet. He said, oh, he'll be in later. <laughs> and I scunched through the newspapers and I went into the studio and I said, where do I turn the microphone on? And Beers said to me, you don't, I do. Um, so I'll control everything. And Hello, you know, no turntables. It was a table with four microphones around. He said to me, um, at half past five, we crossed to BBC London for news. And he said, and that finishes at quarter to six, which is in three minutes time. And I said, yeah. And he said, so I just want you to just talk up to the news. Talk, you, want, you want me to talk up to 15 minutes? 
by myself, talk up to the news. Um, you've got to remember that my background on a rock station was that if you talked for 15 seconds, you'd talk for too long uh, on 3XY. So anyway, away, away, away we went. I, I don't know how I did it, but the, the BBC News finished and the red light came on and I started talking and no sign of Sam Newman. Uh, and it got to five, or six, five minutes to six and a, a little thing came up on the TV screen that said cross to police media liaison, senior constable Fred Bloggs. And so I did that and the microphone went off and the man called Beers said, right, you can go and get a coffee. You're not, not required back in the studio till five past six. I said, yeah, but where's Sam Newman? Oh, he'll be here. Anyway, four minutes past six, I'm back in the studio and Sam Newman walked in. G'day, Greg. G'day, Sam. Right, you're the man, what are we doing? I said, no, hang on a minute. What, what do you mean, what are we? You, know, I, you, just, you just lead and I'll follow. And that was it. We started talking, Paul, and we didn't stop for four and a half years. And we became really good friends. And to this day, Sam is one of, uh, he's one of my best friends. Excellent. You did a lot of interviews, obviously. You did one with uh, Bill Collins at one stage. Mm. Yes, that was, a, that was well remembered. Uh, that was a shocker. We had a, um, a producer, a female producer at the time, who Steve Price ended up marrying, by the way. Um, and uh, and uh, we'd have a little production meeting and say, well, look, next week we're going to interview this person, this person, this person. And she put her hand up and said, I know Bill Collins, so I'll handle that one. Oh, great. Okay, so on the pink card, got pinned to the to the board, um, Bill Collins. And um, anyway, it's time for Bill. It's 20 minutes past eight. The reason for getting Bill Collins on, the movie man, of course, was the Oscars uh, were, were, had been announced and the Unforgiven uh, had been nominated as the best movie of the year and Sam had seen the movie and hated it. So we wanted to talk to Bill. Did you agree with the Oscar for the best picture going to... The Unforgiven. The Unforgiven? I don't know. I've never seen The Unforgiven. I, I probably will go and see it, but I haven't seen it as yet, no. Bill, um, um, no, that surprises me. I would have thought because of, uh, because of its Oscar-winning uh, performance. Do you normally wait for some time before you see the current movies? Yeah, yeah, quite a, quite a while. It's, uh, it, it's a matter of, of finding a bit of spare time to go and see them, you know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, now, what about uh, what about television tonight, Bill? Yes. Uh, what? What? Uh, <laughs> what? Now, what <laughs> uh, Sam, you better take over here. Now, Bill. Yeah. Is that you're you're not? <laughs> no. God, Who are we talking to? Well, we thought we, we thought that we were talking to Bill Collins from Channel Ten. Well, we're talking to the greatest race caller of oh, all yes. time in the history of the world oh, and all other places. Bill, I'm sorry. We were halfway through this interview, Paul, when the penny dropped with Sam Newman that this was the wrong Bill Collins. We were interviewing Bill Collins, the race caller, and the young girl who lined it up had no idea that there were two Bill Collins. So she just knew of Bill Collins, the race caller. So she got him. We were after Bill Collins, the movie man. Sam, uh, when he realised what was going on, he, he took his headphones off and he rose from the desk like a sperm whale and he walked what looked like in slow motion out to the, and he opened the studio door and he screamed at this girl, who the are we talking to? And she said, Bill Collins. He said, the wrong Bill Collins and slammed the door shut and went down. Now, Bill, 
Uh, we understand that you haven't seen the Unforgiven, but uh, who's going to win the fifth race at Flemington on Saturday? <laughs> <laughs> and I just broke up. I couldn't stop laughing. I thought, this is just, this is hilarious. You know, I'll tell you something that happened then. Sam went straight down to the, um, to the office. He picked up the phone and he rang Bill Collins. He spoke to Bill Collins' wife and, and, he, and he apologised. And he said, oh, he said no. Look, um, I'm sorry. Where's Bill? Oh, Bill's in the shower. Will you tell Bill that we weren't taking the Mickey out of him, and we didn't mean it. It was a genuine mistake, and we're sorry, and we'd never do that. And uh, pass those that message on. And then he got the promotions bloke at Three AW, and he said, "Right, get into the prize cupboard, get out the Crosno glasses, and whatever else you got in there, and courier to Bill Collins right now." And uh, and he, uh, you know what I mean? He he genuinely realised that that might upset the real Bill Collins. Both of those gentlemen have passed away by now, but, you know, uh, um, he wanted to make it very clear to Bill, the race caller, that we didn't, we weren't taking the mickey out of him. It was a genuine error. In your latter years of broadcasting, you had another partner uh, in Mandy Turner. What can you tell us about that relationship between you and Mandy? Yeah, Mandy was fantastic. Well, uh, this particular thing came about because... Uh, I was looking after my elderly mother, who was in her 90s. I'm an only child, and so mum needed me. Um, and, uh, and she was living at Bonnie Doon, and so uh, I decided to go to Bonnie Doon and live and look after her. When 3SRFM in Shepparton um, and Reese Holleran uh, ran the network, found out that I was at Bonnie Doon, he said, would you like to do the breakfast program? I said, I can't travel from Bonnie Doon to Shepparton every day. He said, no, we'll build a studio at your mum's house. And that uh, was the best thing that had ever happened to me, to have a, to have a professional radio studio built in your house and uh, to do a breakfast program by just waking up and sliding down the banister was one of the best things. Uh, and so I did that breakfast program for four years. Mandy Turner was at the other end. She was at the radio station in Shepparton controlling the panels. And um, she was absolutely fantastic. Mandy was a young girl who was starting off in radio. Um, she did her own shift on the station mornings, but she got to the point where she could anticipate what I was going to say, what I was going to do, any sound effects that I might have wanted. And, uh, oh, gosh, we worked well as a team. I, I, I enjoyed that immensely. And I said to her when it all finished, I said, it's been incredible working with you because you virtually you knew what I was going to say or do before I'd even said it. So I, I really enjoyed working with Mandy and she's a very, very um, uh, talented lady. Melbourne, rock capital of Australia, okay, Greg, to finish off, a couple of quick fire questions. Where were you when you heard John Lennon had died? Um, I was working at 3XY and uh, my gosh, everybody just went around the radio station. We could not believe what we had just heard. And Graham Smith was the program director at 3XY at the time, Paul, and he did something unprecedented that had never been done before. He said, right, okay, John Lennon's dead. And Greg, when you get on the air from three o'clock, he said, we're going to play nothing but Beatles songs for the next 24 hours. Nothing but Beatles songs. Never happened since, never happened before that. I mean, even in 1977, when Elvis Presley died, um, uh, the radio station didn't do that. Uh, mind you, Elvis wasn't really 3XY genre. We played some Elvis music. But when John Lennon died, 24 hours. And you know what? It worked. It worked. 
everyone, all everyone wanted to hear and talk about was John Lennon. And to hear that music for 24 hours, it's amazing uh, how, you know, there was not many repeats because they had so much music. But if you did hear Birthday or While My Guitar Gently Weeps a second time, it didn't matter. It worked for 24 hours. I thought one of the gutsiest things a program director's ever done. Have you ever had the chance to go back and make the pilgrimage to Strawberry Fields in there at uh, Central Park in New York? I have not. No. No, I haven't. Nor have I been to Graceland, which is one of my biggest regrets. Last concert ticket you paid for, Greg. You would have had a few freebies along the way. Yeah, which was the last one you paid for? Uh, Rolling Stones, without a doubt. I go and see the Rolling Stones whenever they come to Australia. And um, uh, I think it was the Rod Laver Arena was the last time I saw them there. And I was that close to the stage when Keith Richards swung his head around. His sweat nearly hit me, but it landed on the bloke in the seat in front, which I'd be disappointed about. But um, love the Stones. The concert that you regret never seeing. Oh, it has to be Elvis Presley. I, I grew up as a big Elvis Presley fan. Probably um, I would have loved to have met Elvis out of that long list of people that I told you in the rock and roll world that I met over the seven years at 3XY. Elvis wasn't on it, of course. And uh, uh, I would have liked to have, I would love to have met him, but I would have loved to have seen him perform. So Elvis Presley. Song you never got tired of playing on the radio, Greg? Oh, dear me. Um, <laughs> I played so many songs. Um, it's, it's hard to think of one. You know, I'm thinking of, of things like um, Three Dog Night and uh, Jeremiah Was a Bullfrog and all that sort of stuff and all those rock and roll songs. Um, and then I'm thinking of Sadie the Cleaning Lady and I'm thinking I enjoyed that just as much. I used to like the whole cross-section of rock and roll and, and, and that, but, yeah... Uh, like, it's just too hard to pick one song that I never got tired of playing, but, but let's say Sadie the Cleaning Lady and John Farm. Word you had the most trouble pronouncing on air, Greg. Was there one that really used to catch you every time? Well, unlike you, pronouncing the word regret. Concert you regret, sorry, concert you regret. Um, <laughs> so, no, Paul. That was going to be funny. edited out of the last uh, take. <laughs> That's okay, Greg. Thanks for doing that to me. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Um, and uh, yes, there was a word, and I can't think of what the word was that I couldn't say. And I used to hate it when it came up, but I couldn't get my tongue around it. But Paul, there is one thing that comes to mind when you ask me that, and that is um, uh, some people often ask me, have you ever been stuck for words? And, um, and it was when I met the Queen, Queen Elizabeth. Uh, well, I didn't meet her, I, but I was there when she was in Melbourne and I was doing a live cross to 3XY uh, with a big two-way radio set up and a big aerial and on the, on the barricade and I was at the front. And as she came towards me and, and, she, and uh, uh, yeah, and she's, she's about six people away now and she's uh, moving on up the road. She's, uh, oh, she's actually uh, coming to the person next to me and, and she's in front and... And I just stopped. I looked into her eyes. I was maybe two feet away from her. And I was just absolutely speechless. And, you know, the guy on the other end of 3XY was going, Greg, are you there? Are you there? Are you there? What's happening? And I just, uh, uh, uh. And uh, then she'd moved on and she was off greeting other people. And he'd, he'd already ditched me and gone to a record. And, um, and uh, so that was the only time 
that I've been stuck for words and speechless. Nothing worse than a bit of royal silence. Hey, listen, was there ever an incident on air that had you thinking that you might get that don't come Monday order in your pigeonhole? <laughs> 3CS Colac, uh, Paul, I locked myself out of the radio station. Um, the radio station down there, I used to do the, what I called it the hillbilly session between five and six. And uh, I got Slim Dusty on the, you're the only one in the radio station. The uh, temperature gauge was out the back door behind, uh, in a bush. They put it in a bush, you know, to take the temperature in the shade. Slim Dusty's on, down the corridor, out the back door, park the bush, look at the temperature, bang, door slammed, me locked out. Can't get back in, no one in there. Uh, terrible, terrible state of affairs. 5.30 in the morning on a cold, foggy, Colac 3CS morning. And I had to run to Rob Pousty, the program director's house. I jogged four or five blocks, banged on his window to wake him up. And uh, he was livid that I'd woken him up. And uh, <laughs> he, 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 he wouldn't, he, I remember he had a Fiat car and it was new and he wouldn't drive it until it warmed up. And so we had to sit there in the driveway while the engine warmed up before he'd drive me back to the radio station. I, I turned on the radio and all you could hear was shk, shk, shk which was Slim Dusty uh, tracking around <laughs> after it had finished. He let me into the radio station. I ran down to the uh, studio, put another record on and thought, that's it, I'm definitely going to get the sack. And um, nine o'clock came and I came off the air and nothing happened. And it occurred to me that there was probably no one listening. In a word, Skyhooks or Sherbert? Uh, both, yeah, loved them. And uh, boy, did they polarise people. Teenagers in those days were usually either one or the other. Um, Sherbet girls used to dress up in Daryl Braithwaite satin, what have you. The Skyhooks girls were a bit tougher. Um, uh, uh, me, I was, I was probably more Sherbet because I had a great relationship with Daryl Braithwaite and Garth Porter um, and Tony and the rest of them. But uh, Skyhooks... Um, used to love the music, but uh, found them very difficult to deal with. You know, Red Simons was always um, sarcastic and, uh, and Shirley was, he was always away on another planet and it was difficult for me to harness them, if you like, you know, but, uh, but I still like their music. I think you've answered this one already, uh, Beatles or the Stones? Oh yeah, Rolling Stones. Well, both, again, like Sk Sherbert and Skyhooks, I like both. Um, and uh, uh, I, I love the Beatles. I just reckon that they're fabulous. And I love the Rolling Stones. So I, I can't split the two. Most treasured piece of memorabilia from those heady XY days, Greg? Um, a set of playing cards with, uh, with 3XY written on them and a little piece of jewellery that I had made up um, with uh, the 3XY logo that I used to wear around my neck. Um, just a couple of little things, but... I, I, and also, I've got some of those um, denim logo stickers, you know, the zip ones. I did get Eric Clapton's uh, pick one day. I was comparing his show down at Festival Hall. And, um, and uh, when the roadies, the, the house lights went down and the roadies um, torched the band on and, and then torched me on. And I went up and when I got to the microphone, the spotlight came on and I said, Frank's ah, why are you ready for Eric Clapton? Rah, rah, rah. Well, here he is. And Eric Clapton, um, uh, she just put on a massive, fantastic show. And as I was walking off, there was a pick on the ground, a little heart-shaped guitar pick, and I, and I grabbed it, and, um, and, and it had the initials EC on it. 
and then I said, this is my effing pick, EC. <laughs> and I kept that too. So I got Eric Clapton's pick. That's not a bad get. Uh, which other radio station would you occasionally uh, tune into while you were smashing the ratings there at XY? Yeah, gosh, probably uh, probably 3KZ. And uh, um, I was more interested in what was happening at 2SM in Sydney. But, of course, with, you know, we didn't have internet then, so you couldn't listen. I would have loved to have been able to listen to KLAC in Los Angeles. Um, and certainly when I went to America, I just couldn't get enough of American radio. Um, but in, in Melbourne, I think, um, and Graham Kennedy, I used to like, Graham Kennedy was on the ABC with Richard, little, little Dickie, you used to call him, Richard. Mm. Um, and uh, so I'd uh, often, I, I, whenever Graham was on the radio, I'd want to listen. I ended up working with him on 3MP for a very short time, for a week. Uh, and he was quite wonderful. Best words of advice that you were ever given by a program manager? Uh, it wasn't a program manager, Paul. It was Stan Rofe, the legendary Stan Rofe. And it was when I was still working at, uh, no, it wasn't. I was about to go to 3CS in Colac and get my very first job. And, uh, and I went to, back into 3UZ to thank Stan for, you know, the encouragement that he had given me. And, and, and he said to me, Greg, he said, you're going to go down to Colac and you're going to get on the radio and you're going to try and be like someone else. And he said, uh, and I said, yes, Dan, I'm, I'm going to be like you. I'm going to be standing man, Melbourne's Rocky Jockey. And he said, and when you get rid of that and you find yourself, he said, that's when you'll start to be successful. So he said, you will try and be like someone else, but when you learn how to be yourself, you will be successful. And I never forgot that advice. And I always tried to do that. I tried to be the same when the microphone was on as when it was off. A lot of radio announcers turn into something else, you know. Well, they did in those days. You know, they'd be going, hey, go, mate, yeah, everything's good. And then the mic would go on and go, it is, you know, Monday morning and, and be someone else. So I thought that was good advice. Now, Greg, for us listening audience, there was only one month of the year that really mattered. And that, of course, was the 10th month of the year. How exciting did you guys find Rocktober? Oh, well, the thing I liked was there was always something happening. There was concerts, there was expos, there was, um, uh, there was always something happening in Rocktober. Uh, we used to um, have, have wonderful production meetings. We worked hard. We, all the announcers would be in at the radio station at like nine o'clock in the morning, in the morning, either building specials or interviewing people. Um, Remember, we sat around at a meeting one day and uh, the program director said, we've got to come up with something that's big for Rocktober. And we decided that we'd give away a block of land. 3XY gives you the earth. And uh, that was, I'll never forget that. And so we had little capsules of, uh, of dirt and we'd uh, get in the 3XY mobile car, which was a horrible little mini. Uh, wasn't anything like the great massive cars that FM stations have got now. And um, you'd go around to the suburbs and you'd hide the little capsule of dirt and the announcer would cross to you and you'd say, look, I'm, I'm in, uh, you know, Q Junction or somewhere. And people would come, you know, by the score, people would come and then you'd give them a clue and they'd run around and they'd find the little capsule of dirt. And then they were invited to, uh, at, the, uh, at the end of October to come to the block of land where the title to the block was buried under the dirt somewhere and it was all gridded off if you like and everybody had a little space and 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 they dug they dug and they dug and someone dug up the title 
and three X Y gives you the earth. Never forget that. So I like the the frenziness and the the hard work and the the excitement of Rocktober. Greg, um, three albums that you believe were the soundtrack of your teenage years. Mm, hard, but uh, I, look, I was terribly influenced by Elvis Presley. I was just, you know, as a, a young boy, and I'd, I'd spend a lot of time in the country up around Mansfield and Bonnie Doon, where my dad was born, and uh, go to the pictures in Mansfield of a Saturday afternoon. And there was always an Elvis Presley um, movie on, you know, and... Uh, and so I'd ask at Christmas, can, can you please give me an Elvis record roused about or something like that? Uh, so Elvis and, um, and then, uh, oh, and then later on, of course, uh, just after teenagers, rock and roll came into it. And then it was deep purple and, uh, you know, Led Zeppelin and stairway to heaven and, you know, living, loving maid and all of those great rock songs uh, that we used to play on 3XY. If radio hadn't been your career, Greg, would you still be in the Meyer bargain basement selling shoes <laughs> or would there be something else that you might be doing these days? Gee whiz. I think if I, if I, if I had never made it in radio, um, uh, I, I would have wanted to have been a train driver. I'm a bit of a gunzel, Paul. I like trains and um, uh, I'm fascinated by them, particularly rail motors and diesel trains. Uh, so I might have been a train driver. Who knows? And finally, Greg, um, your station of choice these days when you turn the radio on or you get on the computer, where do you like to listen to these days? Mm. Um, well, I guess Smooth FM, I would uh, say. I thought, uh, I think the format of that radio station is very innovative um, and uh, it plays the sort of music I like too, music from, from that era, from the 70s and 80s. Uh, but I think they got it right. You know, you're able to, with today's communications, you can have a radio station in, say, Sydney, and and you can broadcast it all over Australia. You know, there's absolutely no need to to have uh, a radio station in every state. And 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 I like the fact that they play lots of music and then stop down for their commercials, get them over and done with, and get back to the music. I, I think it's good. And they've. Um, They've obviously gone out of their way to get some big personality names on there. I just think the format's good, the music's good, so Smooth FM's it for me. Fantastic. Uh, Greg, we've had the, uh, the DJ nominations and uh, the six that you've uh, been awarded, uh, nominations for Gold Logies. There's uh, all sorts of uh, stations you've been in and out of, but we remember the Greg Evans from More Music 3XY. Thank you so much for spending time with us today and reminiscing with us. We love hearing the stories. Well, Paul, I just wanted to say before I go, I would like to thank you for being, in, in a sense, a custodian of, uh, of some of the great 3XY days. And uh, that radio station's legacy lives on. I know, it, I know that people were passionate about it um, in the 70s and we loved presenting it and being part of it. It was a part of our life. And I think it's fantastic the work you're doing to make sure that it's never forgotten. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Greg Evans on Pilots of the Airwaves.